Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Mayor Dan Horrigan, the 62nd Mayor of Akron, who was sworn into office on January 1st, 2016. Mayor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Okay. So I'm sure you came into office with many different challenges, but boy, the opioid epidemic I couldn't that that had to be right up there with the top. I, it, it's not like people didn't see that coming, and that's part of the intelligence part. And I've spoken to groups who said, you know what, we knew fentanyl was out there. We could have told you these things, and this is maybe from a law enforcement side of it. If you remember, I said, you know, we can't arrest our way out of these. Um, it's also a supply issue. It's it's amazing to me. It's not amazing. It's it's criminal that you know something that you can only make 19 grams of legally in the United States on this fentanyl is legal like you're buying shoes in other countries. So it's more of an effort of, you know, what are we doing on the interdiction side, on the supply side, and what are we doing on the treatment side, and what are we doing on the law enforcement? Because our first responders, and there's there's an impact to them on a daily basis too. So you're right, it was a challenging problem right away. But to us and to me, I'm not, we're not shuffling the issue to say, okay, let's study. That's not a study issue. These are real problems right right now. So we're trying to put resources as quickly as we can in out-of-the-box ideas to try something to do something now. So let's start back to the beginning of your administration. So far, what what have you done there? Could you share that for our listeners? Well, I know we we've I think we've collaborated much better and much uh, on a deeper level with uh, the ADM board with um, the Summit County Public Health because to me it is a public health crisis. It is trying to bring in more partners into this issue. Also, I've been to the governor's office and we've talked about solutions about about we've talked to other cities, and I'm trying to come up with different solutions to how to be able to do this. One of the ideas that came out right away um, was we try to buy the Narcan in a larger group to drive down the price. Um, number two was the suggestion was made: let's put Narcan in police cars. To me, it was easiest one of the easiest decisions I've ever made. Um, I said, make it happen. Get the training. Let's put the Narcan in the police cars. They have it. And I think you're starting to see some real effects to be able to happen. But it's also deeper than that. It's an addiction issue. It touched a lot of people even in my life. Um, And I'll I'll keep trying to find a solution to be able to – it's offering hope too because addiction is – it's it's strong. I'm not going to say that I can empathize or or I've been there, but um, we need to offer people hope. And what are those resources that they – if they're going to ask for help, it's a, as a city and as a society, it's our obligation to give it to them. 
Let me let me just uh, build on sure. the things that you've done uh, so far. You've made Narcan more readily available, and now of course police cruisers carry that. So both police and EMS have Narcan available. Disposal sites for medication. Understand that you've made that. Yeah, a there more were forty thousand. And it, it kind of goes back to the pill mill problem from about 10 years ago when they shut those down on the river. People were looking for an answer to that. And that's when that that's when heroin started to creep up a little bit. But you found it, um, there's such an oversupply that it's so cheap. One of those things, if you look at drug histories, when things get cheap, people will do them. So I've also talked to the DEA. I've also talked to our federal partners who said, what are we doing on the interdiction efforts? What are these some of those things? Well, obviously some things they cannot share. But I, I was fairly impressed by the, some of the efforts that they have to try to be able to do that. Is it perfect? No. We have open borders. We have all these things. And people are – criminals try to do things to try to get around the walls and try to get around those borders. It's up to us to try to stay ahead of those as much as we can too. So, But it goes back to your original question is that when we made the um, disposal bags available to the public through the health department – and I think through the fire department or some of our resources, if people can dispose of them, um, leftover medications in a bag so they don't go into the landfill because a lot of times people will flush them, not a good idea because they end up maybe not being disposed and they may end up in the river. So we've made these bags available so they can get rid of them safely. Right there in their home. Exactly. Without they, going out to a drop box. Exactly. Right in the trash, thing. it disposes of them, and they can get rid of them. Okay. Any other programs you want to cite that you've already put in place to address the opioid epidemic? And the thing that, and since there are since there are so many people involved, there is the Summit County Public Health Department, there is the ADM board, there is IBH, there's all of these different. We're trying to drive down wait times for beds. I, I, I think historically, before, even before the administration. Um, they may have been more than 30 days. We're trying to drive those down. How do we find the money to be able to make more beds available, even if it's in our jail for recovery? That's what we're trying to look for, too. But it's, it's, a, it's a constant shift, and hopefully by the end of the year, we will be able to fund some more beds at IBH or somewhere else. So the other issue that goes hand-in-hand hand with that is making that wait time viable, making it a little bit more bearable for those patients, potential patients coming in. Um, and I understand that the ADM board is addressing that end, yes. and you're working closely with yes, them. Yes, very that. much so. Uh, and and that's where primarily where the where the where the mental health funding comes from. It comes from the ADM board, um, and and we've encouraged them to try to find alternative solutions. If we can get somebody, if they're going to ask for help, and we find them, you know, and and when the Narcan is able to bring them back, if we can like like you had addressed with your critical response teams, can we get them to say, okay, let's get them to a facility where at least they're away from the environment. They're away from all the temptations to be able to do it. It's not a treatment, it's not a treatment facility just yet. It's just kind of that hold pattern. In, until we can get the beds and the wait times down to 10 minutes, you know what I mean, from, from an initial yeah. one, we need to have some sort of area where we can take them and say, if you're going to want help, these are the steps. And it's also... I've said this, you know, I, I as a person don't have this, our community has this issue. So we all kind of need to, to attack it, I think, together. Sure. Okay. So moving forward, plans for the future and formulating plans for the future. Let me just share what one community is doing north of Cincinnati. This is the uh, Coleraine Township. They implemented a quick response team, as we talked about a little earlier. And they put that in about a year ago. And, you know, it kind of about a month ago, blew up in the news. The whole Cincinnati area just has been hit in a, well, in a two-day period, 78 overdoses right. is what they experienced. So all around this, it's just exploding, the overdoses, and yet year over year in this little community, 
they've experienced a 35% drop in overdoses. So one year ago, they put in a cross-functional team approach. And what that was was they put together a social worker Mm -hmm. and an EMS person uh, along with a patrol person that would go out three to five days after the overdoses for anybody that overdosed in their community. They'd knock on their door and they'd offer help. People just opened their arms to that. People just embraced that, the people that needed the help. And in fact, in some cases, it was a very emotional response that it brought. And it kind of turned things in the community from this enforcement cops and robbers mentality over to this compassionate, we're here to help kind of thing. And it flipped everything and it flipped the culture. How do we approach putting something like that together here in our community, Mayor? Love the idea. Just from the fact that it offers a compassionate approach as opposed to arresting our way out of a problem and locking somebody up behind bars that has an addiction issue. That's not, you know, you can, by definition, it may be a crime, but that's not what we're going to fill our jails with. Um, after hearing about the idea, I have talked to Donna Skoda and I've talked to our chief of public safety and said, let's try to put something in this together. If we have um, the social work experts, if we have the available medical staff that's able to do this, and even if we don't, we need to be able to try something to bring down, and I'm looking for best practices on almost any community. So um, I, I'm almost positive they've been in contact with Coleraine or Cincinnati to be able to look at the model. How do we implement it up here? Because we need to keep trying to do things, you know, that other communities are doing. It's a well-worn path. There's a lot of communities that are suffering just like ours. If they're doing something right and it's working, let's not go reinvent the wheel. Let's just try the same thing because I think people will respond to it. So, um, there, and there is a few different, I'm really delighted to hear that, and there are a few different communities that we can turn to for advice and for, you know, guidance in this. Dan Malloy is certainly more than happy to come up, work with us on mm-hmm. this from Coleraine, um, and they're the furthest ahead in this, by the way. Now, um, Hamilton County is also adopting the same thing on a county basis, and the unique thing about that is they've committed resources on the county basis, so they have that out of their budget, and then each community is contributing resources, and so it's a tag team kind of approach, and they spend one day in this community and day in this community or half a day over here, and that seems to be a great approach. And now, um, just last week, in fact, the uh, Cincinnati passed this motion to uh, go ahead and implement a, you know, uh, again, the same team type of approach down in their community. Now, the, the unique thing about the paperwork that I've given to you is it also pairs it with the budget and everything else. Sure. So it pretty well outlines the minimal outlay that uh, this approach is going to uh, require of the community. And it even goes so far as to share how they're encumbering the funds. But not to get too deeply involved in that, the point is we do have a few different communities that we can draw on for this uh, expertise, and uh, we would be more than happy to facilitate this and getting it rolling. You just volunteered, so now you're all in. Outstanding. That's, I, I, believe I me, I, I, will, I, we will, I'll, I know John Cranley. I know PG Sittenfield pretty well. Um, I don't know Mr. Malloy from Coloraine, but if, if – in, and we can mimic legislation that other cities do quite easily um, with all of those things. It's getting our other partners involved, too. I will have a conversation with our county executive, Eileen Shapiro. Um, you know, how do we make this work in ours? If this is working there and you can show substantial returns or you can show some real progress, you know, we have to try something instead of just um, instead of just chasing the problem. We have to, you know, do it on the back end, too, and try to offer that compassion and I think that hope. Uh, 
I'm in. Okay, good. Perfect. We we we'll get we'll touch base on a couple of other issues, but um, we'll get you involved. That'll be great. Okay. Now let's move on. Sure. So let's talk about a different topic, and I know this has come up for you, and that's Perry. Okay, the uh, Police Assisted Addiction and Recovery Initiative. Now, this was founded founded in the Boston area, and what that's all about is an addict says comes in, they give up their drugs, their paraphernalia, and they say, hey, I need treatment. They walk into their local precinct and ask for that, and they get amnesty, and they get help going into treatment. And um, I know this is something that has been discussed and talked about, and very few communities, um, like uh, in the last year, They've slowly but surely begun to adopt it. Now Berea's come on board, and uh, a couple of communities in the, the Cleveland area, Lodi's come on board. Slowly but surely, communities in the state are coming on board. There's about 10 of them, police departments in our state now, that have adopted this and are in the process of uh, moving forward with it. I've heard nothing but praise for the program so far. So where are we in terms of the city and looking at that and evaluating, I'd like to I'd like to look that a little bit closer to see because um, it just depends on the arresting communities and getting them all involved. There's like 26 different uh, communities in Summit County. I don't think you need buy-in from all of them, but it's also something that we can work on countywide as opposed to just the city. Because if we're going to do that compassionate approach, like we talked a little bit a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. I think it's just an offshoot of that. So it's just maybe working out some of those details and trying to find the right funding for you know the funding options to be able to do that. If someone's going to offer that help. I don't want them to come in and say, listen, I, I want to get help, and then we can't take them anywhere. You know, sure. beds are 30 days. Yeah. So I, I, it, you have to have a solution. You have to you have a solution. We can't just say, listen, come on in. Yeah. That just gets us evidence, and that just gets us drugs to destroy. But then we leave a human being out there with no, no particular help. So I think those two programs work more hand-in-hand hand, um, than I maybe originally would have thought. So I, I would like to try maybe together if we can – and it's not – I think there are a lot of good ideas out there, but I think we're looking for something immediate. And if somebody's already doing something like you said, I mean, those are the easier things to accomplish um, if somebody's already having success with the two other ones. Okay. Excellent. So we will have some further discussions on those two. But I think they work hand-in-hand hand more so than I originally thought. I couldn't agree with you more. That, that makes sense. Like I said, it's not um, – we, you have to have a solution to the issue at the end. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. want to have them walk in the precinct to that person and say, you know, we'll see you in 30 days yeah. or, or even five. There needs to be some sort of immediate response. Mm-hmm. But that's us as a community saying, where are those? How are we driving down wait times and beds? Where's the funding coming from? Mm-hmm. Are we moving this to there? So I, it's just a further discussion, but I'm more than willing to look at any solution that's going to help. Okay. So um, with the advent of fentanyl first and now car fentanyl in our community here. Boy, the need for naloxone has never been greater. Um, And sometimes with carfentanil, it takes six or more treatments. I mean, just one after another to respond and and bring someone back. So are we able to keep up with supply of naloxone to to do that? I've told I've told our public safety forces, you know, we, we, we're trying to buy it on a bulk just so we can get a better price to begin with. And we've we partnered with the conference of mayors and the hospitals to be able to do just that. Um, we're going to continue to put resources towards that. I mean, it, that's not a budget issue um, to be able to have the, um, the Narcan to be able to do that. We're going to continue to, as long as this issue remains, you know, as high as it is, as an urgent as it is, 
we're going to continue to get naloxone to be able to provide that. I, that's the one thing I did hear of one other, and I'm not the healthcare expert nor the drug expert, mm-hmm. but there is another one I heard called Vivitrol. Yeah. Um, that that for 30 days or so, that it completely you can, and that's that that's that period that may be that first period where they're going to go back, but you need to be sober for eight days. Right. So. Can we start to use Vivitrol? And are are there legal issues? The Narcan it doesn't seem like there's any legal issues of administering that. Are there legal issues with Vivitrol? So we're trying to look into that a little bit, and we've talked to the ADM board because actually it was a suggestion from somebody at I think Suma. We had a um, we had had a, a community meeting where I convened um, the sheriffs and the Highway Patrol, the governor's office, Ohio Department of Health, all of these, and started to look for some different solutions mm-hmm. to start to vet these two things out so we can maybe start to do them. Vivitrol came up. And I'm a big advent of I don't necessarily want to wait for a solution. You know, if Vivitrol can work and provide that, I say we try that also. But I just haven't heard back yet. Yeah. And Vivitrol is working very well in our community. uh, The doctors that I've interviewed, I interviewed a a doctor in Hudson who her practice revolves around uh, addiction treatment. And Vivitrol is just huge in her practice. The success rate of that is... Is it working? Yes. Okay. That's what I want to make sure. I mean, I... I, in. I don't think anything's going to be 100% because there's still the mental health side of the whole issue, right. which I think we need to do as good or better job of treating on that side too. Mm-hmm. My wife has been in the mental health field for about 20 years, and, and, and she sees it on a daily basis, um, all of this. And it, you know, she has the suggestions about what to work, and she's been involved in being able to help some of those too. So it's, I, like I said, I think it's more of a community issue than just maybe one single city. And you can, if you can look at the numbers on the, on the zip codes. You know, it, it does not discriminate no. um, race, class, gender, all the way down the board. And, and that's one of those things. And if we're not attacking it as a community, then I, you know, we're kind of chasing our tail. Which, but I, but I am I'm proud to say I think we do a, a pretty good job as a community to be able to attack it. I think it's just implementing some of those solutions a little bit quicker that I'd like to do. Yeah. Well, with Vivitrol, yeah, it's very, very effective. And her success rate's something like 80%. Very good. You know, versus the reverse. Um, which is, you know, with abstinence programs in particular, uh, it seems to be just the reverse of that. It's 20% success and 80% relapse uh, on a constant basis. That's, <laughs> that's tough. But I, I don't want to get too, you know, into the numbers. The, the, the bottom line is that they're having great success with Vivitrol. Vivitrol, though, you can't, um, from what I've been told, you don't want to just put all your hopes on that and say no. that it's just that because it's so much more. It's you need still the treatment. It's still all exactly wrapped around that. It's intensive then, part of it too. It's just not that, you know, the bullpen approach. Let's just put them here and let's just see what happens. We can't do that either. It's like putting them in jail. That's not going to work either. Then you have the mental health issues and the addiction issues in jail. That's not a good, that's not a good place for them either to be able to do that. So it, it is more of that approach. But if Vivitrol does work, I mean, I, I'm I, like I said, I'm not the healthcare expert nor the drug expert, but if it's working and you got a better percentage, you can use it with abstinence. You can use it with intensive therapy. You can do use it with all those things, and I think we can drive up some of those numbers. Yeah. So speaking of in jail, um, your drug courts very effective. When I was on council, we had started it. Uh, I'm a big fan of even the specialty courts. Even when I was the clerk of courts, um, there are special issues. We have veterans courts, housing courts, drug courts. Those are specific and they're intentional and they work. And I've heard those stories. And the the more funding we can get there, the more the more people that we can get into drug court, I think the better off we are. Um, no doubt about it. I, I've witnessed drug court myself. Um, 
in Judge Mattia in Cuyahoga County, mm -hmm. his drug court. I sat through a half a day. And it's an amazing process because it changes what you expect in court. Exactly, because people are afraid to go to court. Right. They're afraid to show up to the office. down. Nobody wants to go see a government office because there's always usually something, maybe bad news. Especially when you walk into court, you may have done something wrong. But when the, short, when the court can start to show compassion like they have, that's to me, you you can't you can't invest in more. You can't invest enough money into the, into, into something like that. Um, so if we can, I, I will continue to try to use drug court as a, as one of the best avenues to be able to do that too. And I've seen a lot of success stories of people coming out of drug court on the felony side and the misdemeanor side. Hmm. How about the jails? Um, so in when somebody goes into jail, and it it seems as though, and I'm asking this question just being completely naive to that area. Sure. But knowing that that's a bit of a challenge, somebody gets arrested, incarcerated for whatever, gets thrown in jail for a time, whatever, number of days, a month or whatever. Um, is there help there for them during There should time? be more. Let's put it that way. I, yeah. I'm a firm believer that if you have a captive audience like you have, mm. let's provide the treatment. And I think, quite frankly, over the last few years or maybe even the last five or six, they've reduced that based on a lot of different things. But it's something I think they need to take a look at a little bit stronger because – if if you're if you have that audience, you know whether it's in IBH, not IBH, whether it's Oriana House or whether it's in the jail, you need to be able to provide that treatment as much as you can. That's an investment. That's not throwing away money. You're helping people maybe not make the next mistake again. Mm -hmm. And so if you can provide that therapy, why you have them there for 24 hours a day, times how many months or how many years? Why not provide that? To me, that's an investment more than just throw the money away. So it's something that I know the county. I think they would like to think they could do more. It's just a matter of putting the resources where they should. Okay. We've been focusing pretty much on the front end of this, uh, you know, the, the epidemic, if you will, and the crisis. Now let's talk just a little bit on further down into treatment and into recovery in particular. And recovery housing, just a little bit. Um, one best practice, for lack of a better expression, is surrounding people with peers, people that have already oh, done yeah, that, absolutely. already been there. And, and you can do that very successfully in community housing. What is the city doing to partner with various community housing providers here to help promote them, you know, be it here? One of the things that we've had a shortage of lately is um, it, are things like veteran housing, like, like the community housing to, to help recovery um, there really hasn't been a strong enough housing policy. We get that's a lot of federal funding that comes down this way, and there's literally a backlog in our community of 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 demand as far as supply. Um, we're more than happy to partner with almost any developer that wants to be able to provide that because that peer experience I think is is as important as anything. And if you meet a lot of drug counselors, most of them, and I, I don't know a percentage, but it seems like a lot of them have been through that, and they they're able to empathize about what they're going through. And it's the same thing. You know, whether it be with alcoholism or any other drug, if you can get that peer, we don't have enough of that. So if we're willing to partner, I mean, we're always willing to look at options to be able to do it. Sometimes it's kind of a complicated formula about how that, all that gets funded. But it, 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 we're always looking for partners to be able to do that. Nothing has come down the pike as of yet. I know in my first nine months, we're always looking for options to be able to do it. Outstanding. Okay. Mayor, what else would you like to share with our listeners about the opioid epidemic? 
and in particular, what your administration would like to do? I, I think we continue to, as a community, stress about the education part. I started a series of going into each one of the high schools because I think one of the things that the numbers have shown is that the teenagers have not really started down that road, not in the numbers so much as in the adults. And I think that's good. What we need to do is continue that education part. And we've taken um, EMS and, and fire personnel. And quite frankly, um, I know some people think this does not work, but I am trying to scare them a little bit because I don't think anybody would have imagined that, and maybe they did, and, and, and it just went by that particular day, an elephant tranquilizer being mixed in with a drug to be able to do this. And, and I've seen the pictures, and I've talked to the people, and I've done all those things, you know, to, to, I guess to get that experience. When you can tell somebody that there's a granule of salt out there that if you get near, that you're going to die. And if we don't continue that education part, continue the recovery part, and, and do the things I think more as a community, that's what I want, you know, that's what I want people to know out there. There is hope, too. There are people that do care. There's a lot of people in each one of our neighborhoods and in the surrounding community that will provide that help. You have to, we have, you have to ask us. You know, we'll try to get to you, but if you want help, it is there. And, and I want people not to be afraid because I think that's that mental health stigma that's mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. And I, I'm, they're ashamed. My, yeah, my wife have always said, I'm, um, I'm, I, the people that are on medication, we're okay. Not, we have to get people to take their meds, number one. And those that are not, we have to find the help. You know, We have to get them to be able to do that. So whether it's community support services or whether it's some other line that's able to help them, that's part of that education part too. But I think there are, we're not fully funded on all of those things. There's not enough resources, but we continue to fight for them too. That's why I've, I've, I've talked to our federal partners. I've been to the governor's office. I've been to the Howe Department of Health asking them and telling them, this is a crisis. This is a this is a public health crisis. It's not a it's not a law enforcement crisis. And on the supply side, we can do all those things on the interdiction, and you're still going to probably make a, sometimes a negligible effect on what's coming in. What are we doing right now? What are we doing public health wise to be able to expand that education, bring down wait times and beds, look at different treatment options, get more counselors involved? That's the thing that we need. You know, people need to invest more in. We have a we have a wide array of healthcare resources in Northeast Ohio. Almost an embarrassment of, you mean you look at the public health schools, the number of hospitals and treatment centers, those need to be, you know, we need to be able to, we need to be able to utilize all of those because this is a crisis. Yeah. Um, So you've met with the governor. Yes. Let's talk just a little bit about, there's been a lot of pressure put on the governor to declare this a state of emergency. Could I have your comments on that? Yeah, and we didn't get into that particular topic about a state of emergency, and I've talked to Representative Johnson, um, Greta, who has is, who is called for that. Um, my only question is, is, is how it would work and, and, and what we would do after. And it was like we talked a little bit before. We can do these things, but what's the solution? If there, you, know, we, you just don't want to say, okay, we're just going to bring down wait times and beds. But if we're not doing all those other things that we talked about, whether it's you can turn it in at the precinct house, whether we do a special response team. To me, it has to be more of an organized effort. I don't know if, if we're all on that same page as of yet. I hope we're getting there to be able to do it. I don't, and I, and I do think it is a public health emergency. Whether he needs to declare an emergency, I haven't really come down on either side on that one just yet. So um, let me put it a little differently. If we were to put together a plan of action and we needed budget that was well beyond. Then I'll lobby for we, it. Yeah, then I'll support it. Here's the plan. Absolutely. So, Governor, here, state of emergency or not, pull these funds. If you need to do it out of a state of emergency, let's do that, and here's our plan. I'll lobby for it. And you're behind that. 
I'll lobby for it. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. It, 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 and I'm not the predictive modelist that says, okay, it ends in six months. You know, nobody knows when this is going to stop. You know what I mean? So we need to put those resources where they are now. Please. And to me, I think they're more of an investment in people too, especially when you talk about if you're providing a person with hope, then they're not going to go to jail. They're not going to commit a crime. They're going to go do what? They're going to hopefully become more of a productive member and exactly, and that's what we want to do anyway. And it yeah. all goes back to the education part, economic opportunity. I think these things are so linked, and they're not hard to draw those distinctions between them. No. I mean, they are linked between them. You know, if you don't have a job, you're going to do this. So they they are linked, and I think those are an investment in people. That's what I think mayors do. I really do. I mean, these these issues come on our front doorstep. They're not going everywhere else. They're on our our doorstep every day. So we're always looking for different solutions to be able to help. That's part of our job. Yeah. Put a little differently, you have an opportunity to save a generation. Exactly. And that and, and it I, I don't disagree. And how could you how could you not buy into that? How do we not save a generation? Yeah. Any final comments, Mayor? No, I think you got them all out of me. How about that? <laughs> no, we touched on some sop believe me, as an elected official, you have to kind of grow in the job. I mean you you don't you don't come in knowing everything. Believe me, there's nobody that does. Um but you have to be able to evolve and see issues that, you know, h- how important they are. Not that I did not think that this was important, um, but it just seemed to have exploded this year with the fentanyl and carfentanil. And that has to do with, there's a lot of different ways. So we don't want to be reactive in all those things either. I think we want to be proactive on, on a lot of the approaches. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. I thank you for, you know, like I said, this all, I think, um, getting this out and, and the education piece. If we talk to one person today, if one person says, and I heard the mayor, I don't like him, but I'm going to ask for help. That's okay. It's none of it about that. It's about people asking for help and us being able to do it. Outstanding. Thank you again. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate it. All right. Sorry about tapping on the table. You get a little nervous and stuff. So. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I'll give these to Charlie. We've been visiting today with Mayor Dan Horrigan, the 62nd mayor of Akron, who was sworn into office January 1st and had to start running right away with many different things. Not the least of them, in fact, perhaps the most important and most profound, the opioid epidemic. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.